You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium Miguel. It's your Uncle Silk. And I guess apparently I'm the NFL bus of my black, 35. <laughs> and it's Dan, and as always, Chick-fil-A is better than Popeye's. Already. Yay. What's up with the chicken beef? There's a lot of chicken beef today, bro. I don't know. I mean, the answer is always Chick-fil-A, so I don't know what everybody's got know, going man. on. It's two crowds. There's two types of people in the world. You know, you like Chick Fil A or you like Popeyes? What, no, it's a, hey, there's people. There's two types of people. You're right. There's people that like Chick Fil A and there's people that are wrong. Hey, hey it's cool. <laughs> so Chick Fil A decides to, uh, to to throw a shot and they tweeted something out and then Popeyes uh, retweeted with, uh, with with some slick remarks, man. So the whole Twitter sphere has been beefing and going back and forth about this Popeyes chicken sandwich is supposed supposed to be better than. Chick-fil-A. I really don't care, bro. I'm not a fried chicken sandwich you like that, dog. Hey, man. Catholics versus convicts, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, how you on it? I, I pull up the Popeyes, and I feel like I'm about to get shot sometime. I, I mean, that's what I like, though. I like man, it. When you pull up the Popeyes, there's sometimes a 90% chance you're out of chicken. The Popeyes yeah. is, is, like, the hardest place to get into, right? So if you, like, coming, if you're going north on Main Street and Popeyes on your left, you have to literally go across traffic, go, go in the Popeyes parking lot, Go all the way around the building through potholes, mind you. There's potholes everywhere. Just go to public around potholes. Then you got to get, get back on Main Street, back around. Can you imagine spending all that time just to be just pull up to the old drive there and be like, "I'll have a three piece or whatever," and they're like, "Sir, we're out of chicken." Every <laughs> single time. <laughs> Every, it's, uh, they do say that, or they say it's something. We got to wait on it. It's, it's, it's cooking or some stupid. Yeah, ass. I'm just not a fan of Popeyes. I like the biscuits, bro. Yeah, sure. I, I, I like the biscuits. I'm not a fan of the chicken. I, but what I will tell you though is, I. I I live with Bojangles too. I rock with Bojangles. All right. I can rock with Bojangles too. Not better. It's not better than Popeyes. Hey, Mom, when you were in school, did you ever go to Guthrie's or? Uh, nah. It was on. It was on 13th South of uh, South of Sorority Row and everything. I think it closed when I was like a junior or senior. But did Guthrie's had you had two options? You either had a plate or you had a box. They're both the same thing, and all depended on whether you were going to take it to go. Or whether you're going to eat in the store, but it's the exact same thing. Whew. I don't know. I don't remember that play. So mm. enough of the bird play. Let's talk some word play, man. Uh, Dan Mullen got into the depth chart at his press. So he dropped the depth chart. My, my bad. He dropped the depth chart today. And um, he also had a press. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. How you guys feel about the depth chart? Any surprises? No, I don't. I don't have a lot of surprises. I think the uh, the a couple things were cemented. Uh, Malik Davis is ahead of Damian Pierce on the depth chart, which I think is uh, which is interesting. We know that that was a battle of who was going to be number two. Uh, I think we said on this podcast that we thought Malik Davis would be number two, uh, but to see it in writing. Uh, and then uh, other than that, there's there's not a lot of um, not a lot of differences other than what we've talked about. You know the 
the offensive line was set up to be Stone Forsythe, Brett Hagee, uh, Nick Buchanan, uh, Chris Blake, and uh, Gene DeLance, who uh, who had a, an ankle injury last week, but it looks like he's going to be clear to play. It looks like all the guys that, that had injuries are, are going to be clear to play, so that's good. Um, you know, other than that, there's not a lot of question marks. There's a lot of oars. You know, a lot of the places that we had oars, you know, or question marks at safety position. You have Donovan Snyder or Sean Davis, Jawan Taylor or Brad Stewart. So, you know, a lot of those guys are going to get a lot of play. So I don't think that there's any huge, uh, anything huge, uh, hugely that was a surprise about. Uh, do you like the oars that uh, where, where Tony's at? He's the third oar on that. Like, do, you, do you take that into consideration for anything or is it just – no, I just think that that's just the way it is. I mean, I don't think that any of these positions are exactly what they say they're going to be either. It's probably what the position. Yeah, who, who the starters probably going to depend on what what first play he's going to run. To be honest with you, at the receiver spot. Right. I, I, I think that's what it is. So it, it depends on who yeah. he ran and what personnel is and all that. That's why why the or is there. Um, right. Well, and a lot of it's going to depend on what the play is too, right? Or or what they're trying to accomplish, or you know, if you're third and short. Or, you know, third and medium, you're going to probably throw a guy like Hammond out there because he's reliable, right? You might throw a Hammond, a Swain. And so, you know, these X, Z, and, and slot receivers, I think that they're all pretty interchangeable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think um, something that that, that I that took, I took notice, um, too, on the depth track, man. You see, see you got your boy Copeland second uh, behind Van Jefferson. I see. Yeah, so so it must have been a productive a productive camp, man. You know, he got he, he's It's second. not wide. It's not a slot. Yeah, yeah. Put on that weight. Um, Are you surprised about that? Um, I'm, I'm not. I just, I just think you know he had to he had to stay healthy. You know he he hasn't been healthy since he came on campus. Now he he's finally healthy and showing us what he can do. Well, at least you know showing the coaches what he can do. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see him. But are you are you surprised that he's that X slot and not a not in that slot position? Nah, because that that X receiver right there, that that's your that's your that's your that's your big receiver, your main dude. You know, and if he's the alpha dog like they say he is, you know, and, and, and or he, he's capable of being, um, I, I don't I don't expect nobody else besides him. You got bench four or five. There's no way in the, in the world. That guy right there has to win. He's out there by himself. No, it, it, no, no slot receiver, no tight end, no none of that. He's by, by himself. He, when you need some yards, he has to beat that guy. I feel like Copeland can beat that guy. Yeah, he's definitely got that mentality. I'll tell you that, bro. Like, Muller keep talking about these alpha males and dogs and – I mean, the questions came up again. I think they spoke to Felipe about it today as well. But he's he's an alpha male and he's a dog. Like you say, he benching four or five. He's a guy that's gonna get off jams. And he's that type of guy, bro. He's aggressive. I'm anxious to see how, how I see him play because obviously he's gonna get a lot of a lot of um, more snap than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I noticed on there was that Lucas Kroll uh, and. And, uh, and Pitts, you know, or for that number one slot. And I think that you're going to see a lot of them lining up uh, two tight end sets, especially depending on how the offensive line does. But, you know, they might, you know, very easily, you know, play a lot more two tight end sets this year than they would maybe two running back sets like some people thought they might do last year. So I, I can definitely see Kyle Pitts and both being on the same field. And then you add in somebody like, you know, a Jefferson, a Grimes, and a Tony or a Copeland on the field at the same time. And that's a, that's a lot of weapons to have to uh, – to be prepared for. And on kickoff return, they had uh, Freddie Swain and uh, Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I, you know, I, I knew that, you know, Freddie Swain was going to probably be that punt return guy. I was wondering if they were going to go with the more electric guy. Nick Del Torre said it best. He's a, he's your fewer 401 option. I like Swain. And then, you know, depending on, on kick return, 
you know, if Kadarius Tony can hold on to the ball, man, he's a, he's electric. But it's, you know, as Brandon James said a couple of weeks ago, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's tough. So, you know, can he balance that? And, you know, can Florida afford to, to potentially lose somebody like that is a, is a question as well. I don't know if his problem is, is is holding on to the ball. I think it was on punt return, catching it in traffic and whatnot, putting it on the turf. I like Tony better in kickoff return. That's a longer, easier catch, and he's electric, man. So I, I definitely like him in kickoff return. I'm glad he's not on punt return. What you guys think about uh, the the, the or by Cal uh, Traskin and Emory Jones? I think it's going like how how the the receivers, you know, how how the receiver position is, you know, whatever, yeah, situational, whatever we running, who we playing against, um, that type of deal. Uh, and I'll say it, you know, I said it a couple times now on the show. I think that you're going to see more Emory Jones situationally, but I think if Felipe Franks goes down, then I think you're going to see Kyle Trask come in and play. So uh, I, I think they have, I think they have more practice, or, or pardon me, more situational um, plays for Emory Jones for him to come in and either run, you know, run the ball or, or obviously, you know, he has a threat to pass now. But, you know, if Florida needs somebody to be a reliable quarterback, I think that they're going to probably put a little more trust in, in Kyle Trask to, to lead the offense, at least for right now. Okay. Also on the presser, like you, you already spoke on, Mullen said everybody's healthy. So uh, there was a little questioning on uh, Gene DeLance, the offensive tackle, and also Schuler. No one knows. Yeah, it was Campbell and Campbell. Conliffe. Correct. There was uh, some questions about Conliffe, whether he had a, a concussion in all three of them. Uh, and anybody that had any potential stingers or anything uh, is, is cleared to go. Which is huge, man. Uh, first week, uh, it's, it's pretty much on record that our, our first five offensive linemen are stout. Uh, they're good. But we have depth issues. So if somebody's to go down, we could see some some issues possibly in the 2D. But the starting five are there, so that's, that's really important for this first game. Y'all ready to dig into this game a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do it. All right, man. We got the uh, unranked AP poll also dropped today. We came in at number eight. Kansas came in at number votes, receiving votes, pretty much. What's uh, the keys to this game, in your opinion? What, what's going to be the deciding factor? Uh, we know both trenches, uh, offensive lines have questions. Both defensive lines are dominant. What's going to be? What's going to give? Well, I, I think, man, it, it's all going to depend on how we we. Uh, go against their defense. Um, you know, that's basically their strong spot right now, if they have any, um, with their linebacker court being, you know, uh, experienced as they are. Uh, we, we go out there and score, we should be good. You know, uh, I think it's going to be tough at the beginning. It's a rival game. You know, and a lot of people forget that. You know, reg regardless of the team records and all that, they go out the window. We recruit the same guys. Um, these guys are from the, the same area, went to high school together. You know, they want to beat us just as bad as we want to beat them. You know, and it's the first game of the season. There's going to be kinks. In the chain, we got to get out, regardless of how your how good your offense is. You know, um, going against another team's jersey uh, for the first time in a while, can, you know, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough a little bit at the, at the beginning. I think we'll pull it up at the end though. But you know, um, that shit shouldn't be close at all. At, you know, towards the end. Yeah, I think your key matchups are on the offensive line and the defensive line for both teams. Uh, you know, both teams have great uh, players on the defensive line as an advantage because they're going against a redshirt freshman and a, and a true freshman at the tackle positions. And I think that Jonathan Greener, Jeremiah Moon, uh, Jabari Zunig, or defensive ends that they're going to have or outside blitzing linebackers are going to have an advantage over those two guys. So I think that that's big. Uh, you know, I think sacks and getting to the quarterback, especially making Jaron Williams throw the ball, is going to be big. He's only thrown the ball three times uh, in his or his collegiate career. He threw for 17 yards. Uh, you know, Florida has two great defensive backs that are going to be covering the uh, the outside wide receivers. They're going to have a hell of a pass rush. And so if Florida can get to the quarterback, I don't see how Miami's going to move 
move the ball. Uh, I think that they have, you know, some decent players at running back, and that's something that you need to be aware of. Uh, but I think that Florida, you know, pound for pound has a better quarterback, better wide receivers, a better offensive line. You know, we can even say that defensive line might push. Uh, I think that Florida has just as good a, of tight ends. I think they're better at the linebacker or just as good at – uh, maybe Miami has a slight advantage of a linebacker. I think they're better at cornerbacks, and I think that there's uh, they're better at safety. So, you know, all in all, I think that Florida should win this matchup pretty easily, and especially if they can route out the quarterback early and force him to to make big plays, then, you know, I really like Florida's chances. Yeah, I think Miami game plan has to be to shorten the game, run the ball, try to control the clock a little bit to keep it and have a shot in the fourth quarter. That has to be the game plan. We get up two scores with a freshman quarterback, and freshman offensive tackles, Grantham is going to be a headache, bro. So I think yeah. the is going to try to be conservative and try to try to just be in the game late. Yeah, yeah I think that Florida is going to probably stack the box expecting that. You know, I think that Florida is willing to put uh, Henderson and Wilson on an island, uh, if you will. So uh, if you can do that and you can put a lot of faith and trust in them and you can throw maybe an extra safety into the box or you can play that contain where – um, where you're just prepared for them to run the ball. And if then, you know, that's what they're consistently doing time after time. You know, I think that Florida is going to game plan smart. I think that Todd Grantham is a very smart uh, defensive coordinator. He's very aggressive, and that's not what you want in your first game. I think that you know, Wild plays is a pretty good idea of what Danny Enos is going to do. And Danny Enos doesn't have – the skills or skilled players that he had when he was at Alabama. And I don't think that he was all that great of a coordinator before that, uh, before he went to central Michigan. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how Todd Grantham dials up that, that defense to force them to pass the ball, because I, that's the way that Florida knows they'll win is by forcing them to pass the ball. Uh, and I trust that Dan, all right, that uh, Todd Grantham is going to call that, uh, that defense to do that. Yeah, I don't see. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Black. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't, I don't see them throwing the ball deep down the field at all, anyway, like that. Uh, especially you know with, with that quarterback. Plus, also you know, in, in order for you to throw the ball deep, you got to have time. And I don't think they're gonna have them tackles not gonna hold up for them. I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I just don't feel like those tackles can hold up long enough for them to throw the ball deep. And I mean, so you know, new new quarterback, new tackles. I think they're just gonna dink and dunk. If they pass the ball, you know, at that all. Energy, that energy is going to be real big for them, them offensive tackles. Some guys in there play in this type of atmosphere, bro. That energy is going to be real big. It's going to drain them. They're going to be tired. So we, we will have to turn over the ball a lot for, for us to, to lose this game, in my opinion. I just don't see a way where we play a clean game. Uh, we're not just turning the ball over and doing stupid stuff. I don't see how we can lose this game. Just not set up that way. Yeah, I really don't know where Miami wins. I mean, it would take a, a lot of – Freak, uh, freak accidents on Florida's end or or just not being prepared to play. And everything that we hear Felipe Franks talk about today when he met with the media and then Dan Mullen and then just the team as a whole, it seems like they're hyper-focused and, you know, staying off of social media, you know, just it's, it seems like they're laser-focused on getting this win. And they all know that Miami's had Florida's number over the last few decades. And so they definitely don't want to go out that way. And Felipe Franks even said it today uh, during his meeting with the media is that, you know, they have aspirations of winning the national championship this year. So, you know, I think that if they keep that that focus, then you know you start the game or start the season really strong. You take a week off to uh, to recover, and then you're you're back in it for uh, your longer stretch of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, both coaches were asked about suspensions. Neither neither tipped their hand. I think both teams are gonna have suspensions. This is how this yeah. goes every year. So I mean, some things are gonna change on Saturday morning when these suspensions, suspensions gets announced. You know what I'm saying? We have, I have a kind of an idea who's going to be suspended. I don't want to throw names out there just because nothing's concrete, and I don't like 
doing rumor. You know what I'm saying? Shout outs and whatnot. So I'm not gonna say who I think it is, but anybody that's rumored, I'm not worried about. It's nobody that's not a starter. So we should we should be fine at the department. We'll see what Miami has. Uh, there's a lot of smoke smoke out there as far as guys on that side. I'm not gonna name no names on that side either, but that's gonna be an X factor as well. You know, I think game plans and those things could change on Saturday morning if, if suspensions get announced. I think I think it's just you know that's just like a focus uh, with the guys and, and you know in, in off season. You know, it's a long off season and it's easy to get rolled to sleep. You don't have a game. You're working out, but what for? You know, so um, it's about how bad you want it, fellas. If 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 you you go out and and, and commit these whatever y'all doing, um, you know how 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 important is it? How how bad do you really want to win? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and get it to we got. It's the week before the show, man. Let's get some high energy guys on here. Let's get some 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 goat guests. To come hang out with us. So, who we got for guest of the week, Dan? So, the first guest of the week we have is Dave Bartu, who is uh, known as a CFB Matrix. And then we got some other surprises after that. So, stick around. That's right. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is Dave Bartu of CFB Matrix. Dave, how are you? Dude, I am doing good. What are, what are the days? Six days from Gators? Five days. Yeah, five days. Five days. Mike's about to go down. That's oh, it, God. I am so – and look, I'm, I'm, I'm a Closet Gator fan. So I'll just, okay. I'll just get that out. I am biased a little bit. A little bit. I try not to be. Um, the only one I'm really biased ducks because I'm an alumni, so I never want okay. people thinking that I'm being biased. So I hammer them worse than anybody. Uh, but what no, I'm, I'm really Taggart? hammered with that. Willie Taggart, how, how much time do we have? Seriously, and I can't swear, right? I can't swear? Because yeah, he's can't. swearing. Look, when they hired him, I was pissed. Absolutely pissed for two reasons. One, I offered to help them free alumni. They told me to go pound sand so they can go pound their own sand. But number two, look, they hired a guy that has been a head coach for eight years and never won a division, never won a division title outright. Oh, neither is Mario Cristobal. She's, you know, something. First time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. So then, then they hired with Willie Taggart, great recruiter. No, he's not. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody said the only reason he recruited so hard at Oregon is to he already had the FSU job locked. I really believe that that's like a 50-50 because he hasn't recruited that hard in his life. He's never recruited that good in his life. Western Kentucky recruiting didn't go anywhere. South Florida recruiting didn't go anywhere. He went somewhere, and then half the guys went back to Florida with him, and he's a terrible offensive coordinator. I was mad every minute he was there, and I got hammered at Florida State, and he has a bad year at Florida State. Doug fans are all, oh, I knew he wasn't any good. Good riddance to that. I'm like, yeah, now your offensive coordinator still sucks. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Dave. Well, let's. Uh, we, we don't talk about poverty on this show anymore, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Florida Gators. So, Paul came out today, ranked eighth. Does that sound about right to you? Hell no. That scares the shit out. Sorry. Hell no. That scares the heck out of me. <laughs> well, it, it, look, it, it, they had a great year last year. Okay, uh, defensive scoring efficiency, offensive scoring efficiency uh, combined, they were top three last year. And on the positive side, every national championship winner for the last twenty years finished the previous season in my scoring efficiency numbers in the top one. So you had a really good, efficient team last year. All right. You have a decently talented team this year. Um, you got a little bit of a tougher schedule. And what I'm looking at right now is by the numbers, when you look at talent location and coaching, I'm looking at a nine and three schedule. All right. Now nine and three is not going to get you number eight. 
All right, ten and two might get you number eight. Eleven and one probably will. And to me, my favorite number for sitting at that nine win. I think we could all look at the schedule and say, I can see ten and I can see eight. So I, I feel right now with Florida, I think the number is high. Are they a playoff contender? Yes, based on their uh, coaching grades for their head coach, their offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, their uh, efficiency from recruiting. They entered this season as the number 13 recruiter over the last four years in college football, which is something I've been closely tracking for the last 18 years. Uh, and I think there's a lot of value in that. But I think with Florida right now, in a nutshell, if I'm a Gator fan, which I am a little bit. Actually, I'm, <laughs> I realize that is funny. Um, I would temper the expectation. This is not, I don't think this is going to be four years to go to get Gators back where the fans want consistently, and I think that's going to involve a little more consistent recruiting and just consistency in coaching. When you say – when you say uh, – I'm sorry. When you say, uh, you know, 9 and 3, 10 and 2, how many players – what's the difference in that? Are we going to get blown out in any of those games? And, and when you say uh, nine and three, who do you see us, you see us losing to possibly? Uh, you know, something that the whole schedule reveals who uh, Strickland pissed off at the Destin meetings. They go, what, what, what is it? They have Tennessee, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia all in a row. See the trap game uh, simply because Tennessee is talented, just under coast right now. But you can, we can all see them looking past Tennessee. LSU is a tough road game. South Carolina, I expect them to beat South Carolina. And Georgia, I have Georgia as one of four Tier 1 teams national title. Uh, last year, the Tier 1 teams were Clemson, Ohio State, and Auburn. Not, not Alabama. I told everybody Alabama wouldn't win it because of the Loxley. <laughs> Look, they scored nothing because of Loxley. Um, but Georgia is one of those top four teams this year. So I think the Georgia game is a loss. And then I feel the difference between nine and three and ten and two or eight and four it's that group right there tennessee lsu south carolina you go two and one you're probably ten and two and number eight in the country where they're at right now you go and three you might be looking at eight and four season but to me everything before that run and everything after that run they should win all those football games Interesting. What do you uh, what do you think about Felipe Franks? Um, do you on him? Do you think that he's getting overhyped a little bit? What are your thoughts on him? He's so funny. I don't even know who Felipe Franks players are. I don't watch much football because I tell stories with the numbers. When I'm talking, when I'm talking about all this stuff, I use the spreadsheet. I use I use coach effect, uh, the recruiting and attrition and player development. So uh, now, fortunately, last year I got to go to my first world's largest outdoor cocktail. Bill. Oh, dude, that was so yeah. cool. I mean, it was cool right down there, uh, well, right there on the field. Um, and that was pretty sweet. And I probably wouldn't have known who Felipe Ranks was if I didn't watch that whole football game. But you go into that kind of granularity. Now, I will say quarterback position, uh, by the numbers, quarterbacks and both kickers do most valuable positions in college football in terms of wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds funny, but when you look at getting both your kickers back and your quarterback back is more important than anything else. Um, and I think from a kicker standpoint, it all comes down to field position and, and those close games where, <laughs> where we always text uh, or tweet out, you know, hashtag college kicker on a missed field goal. Uh, having a veteran kicker is going to win you football game. And with Franks is second year, second year in a system. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, he stayed pretty healthy last year, didn't he? Yeah. You know, yeah, so he's, he's healthy going into this year. So 
uh, he can, he, he's got to improve, right? I mean, really, he, he has to improve, and he's huge dude, man. So you got a healthy guy, should be improved. you got a good play caller, not a great one in Dan Mullen, but a good one. Uh, so I expect from that position, I think Florida's going to improve this year. You just said that, that Dan Mullen is a good play caller, not a great play caller. What do you think is the differentiator to why he's he, he's not considered a brawler according to your math and statistics and analysis? Um, because he's not as good as a bunch of guys in front of him. And and what I mean by that is, look, the most important thing in college football is scoring. And the most important thing beyond that is scoring efficiently. Over his career, he's been a B play caller, which, you know, is is top 30% in all active offensive coordinators. The way we see him as offensive coordinator, he's calling his play. Okay. Um, It's just, you compare his career to a lot of other guys, he's, elite, you know, play caller. Now, part of it is sample size. He's been doing it for, you know, a decade. And so, you know, you have a guy that, uh, you know, it's hard to maintain elite the entire time, but he's really never had an elite year. So uh, compared to other offensive coordinators, so I think the down to is you got a good guy that could have a great year. There's not a lot of down years. There's, there's a, there's a high floor for him. I got you. Uh, where, where do you think that Dan Mullen ranks um, in the SEC as a head coach or as an offensive coordinator, however you want to determine how to interpret that question, but where do you rank him in the SEC? And then can you explain how difficult or, or I guess just explain what he did and how that's viewed by folks like yourself? Oh, well, what he did at Mississippi State, he's the best coach they've ever had, number one. Okay. And, you know, the part of that with what he did at Mississippi State, there's two things that were really positive, three things that are positive about him inside the analytics that we do uh, when we're looking at guys like him. Uh, Did he win above talent? Yeah, he did. When you look at the teams that out recruited him uh, versus the teams that he out recruited, his career at Mississippi State, he only lost four games in his entire career to teams that um, he out recruited. So now you try to transfer something like that over to Florida, who's going to out-recruit everybody except Georgia, Alabama, maybe LSU. Um, you know, he should, be, he should be winning a lot of games like that straight up. Um, the other thing is, what did he do against teams with more talent? And he was plus on that side as well. So you had you a guy who didn't lose very often to teams he should be beating. And more often than not, he was beating teams that had, you know, at least, as much or talent than him. Uh, then you start looking at his, his recruiting when he entered Mississippi State. They were the number 34 recruiter in the country. When he left, they were number 12. It's a big move. And I know a lot of people listen to me and say, no, that's not that big of a move. It is a really big move in college football. Most teams are what we call range-bound recruiters. Okay, uh, They recruit at a high end and a low end, but overall they stay pretty average. It's hard to drop down and stay down. It's hard to drop, you know, move up and stay up. That's why with Florida, I think there's a lot of potential there because where they recruit at right now is much lower than where they were 10, 15 years ago. So I think the ceiling of talent at Florida has a long ways to go. Again, I think Dan Mullen fits with that because he raised the talent at Mississippi State. And the last thing was player development. And the way we monitor this is we track heights and weights of guys coming in and we get all of the information from every athletic department every year that they put out. Now, I don't know that it's always accurate, but that's to their detriment. You look at Jim McElwain, 
Okay, and I'll, I'll compare I'll compare this real quick. Jim McElwain, his average linebacker gained two pounds from when they signed the letter of intent. Mm. Two pounds. Urban Meyer, the average was seventeen pounds. You tell me who's developing players. You look at Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. His guys made a lot of weight gains. He recruited big guys with smaller frames and made them really big guys with big frames. And to me, in college and in the NFL, you can't coach size. You know, so when I see that four-star guy that is six three, three third in high school, dude, he's capped out. There's no more room for that guy. You know, give me the six six guy that's two seventy that can go up to three ten. You know, that, that's, that's the part of the mentality is getting maybe past some of the stars in some of these areas, especially on the line, defensive and offensive line, safeties and so forth. Start looking at, I want to see big guys, guys that can get bigger. And Dan did a really good job at Mississippi State of finding big guys, those kind of diamonds, and really making them big. Now, at Florida, we're really not looking for diamonds in the rough. We're looking for all big guys. <laughs> you know, Florida doesn't need to settle, uh, you know, on the lower end of the recruit spectrum, but I think Dan did a really good job at Mississippi State also developing those players, so you add all of that up, and to me, at the time of the high year, that was the best man available at the time, lowest risk, highest reward for Florida, and obviously it paid off last year, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes going forward. What 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 the numbers say about um, <laughs> the first week matchup? I don't know, like all these numbers got me you, bro. Oh, you want to talk betting, huh? You want to talk betting, I know. You can just say it. Look, people with the over, <laughs> the under, should we take the spread, you know, we're going to cover. So my favorite bet in that one is taking um, Florida on the money line, okay? It's not a big payoff, not a big <laughs> not a big reward, but it's not a big yeah. risk. So if I'm betting Florida to straight win that game, okay? Uh, the spread, I think, is running around seven. First yeah. game of the season, we really don't know what either, you know, you got a new coach on Miami side, got a new quarterback on Miami side. There's a lot of variables here, but we know that Florida has better talent. Florida has more experience. Florida was a better team last year. Florida doesn't have a new coach. And, and I, I'm, I'm a conservative better. So I just like Florida straight up in that game. Okay. Now be really careful folks, because I think Florida and Miami, they both have a bye the following week, right? Yeah, yeah. September buys suck. They are terrible. Avoid them at all costs. I, I think Miami and Florida, their trap game is going to be week three. That September buy, when you look over the last 15 years, the winning rate in a September buy, if you're coming off a September buy, your win rate is 51%. It's almost a coin flip. In October, it gets near 60%. And by November, it's almost 70%. This I think we're playing, like, we're, we're playing yeah. like a church school or something, though, bro. We're, we're fine. Uh, oh, yeah, but, but who, who knows Who knows what it is? But <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, that's, and actually, that's not true. Don't be going there. Don't be going there. Are you, yeah, <laughs> no. Blind, uh, look, don't, don't keep it. Hey, look, don't keep bitter at me because y'all scheduled Miami and Florida State as non-conference, okay? Not my <laughs> fault. You don't. Don't messenger. I'm gonna come over there and whip y'all's ass. No, no, you're all bigger than me. I'm a little guy, so I'm just gonna talk big over the phone. But, but seriously though, is even look in in the SEC, a lot of the huge games are preceded by a you know there's a lot of teams get buys before huge games. 
Uh, but you, but you look over time, it's just to me, and I don't know what it is, not a football player, never have been, you know, don't watch film. That's not my thing. But for some reason, September teams struggle. And I, and I don't know, it's almost like you've, you've got to do a bunch of weeks of, of continuous, just to get in that rhythm and, and a buy in September breaks the rhythm so fast. I don't like it. I really don't like it. So I don't know who does Florida they're playing week three, probably cupcake, right? Yes. Like Florida A&M? No, they play. No, that's, that's, that's Miami that played Bethune Cup Manager. <laughs> oh, no. my gosh. What kind of show is this? You should have everything up on the board right now. I'm doing this from the, from the seat of my truck driving down the road, and you guys don't even have the schedule no, up in front of you. Uh, they have Tennessee Martin and then Kentucky, <laughs> then Tennessee, then Towson. So they really they don't have a tough stretch. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you might consider that, that Tennessee a trap game. I don't think they're very – Good. I know that you said that they have some talent. I don't think that they have a very good team. They struggled really towards the end of last year. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see them getting any better last season. I think Kentucky is is still a fine program. I think that Mark Stoops is a great uh, coach, and I think that he probably will escalate his. And, and your numbers might tell you different, but I think that he might you know be able to move up in his career here soon. And then Towson, and then they have Auburn after that. So you know they do have a week to be able to prepare. You know, before that that Auburn matchup, which is probably your your next toughest game, um, yeah. or the, your first toughest game to start the season. Right? Is that that's in October, right? Yeah, that's October fifth. So you know they okay, have. Okay. Yeah, because I got that circled. I'm going to try to come down to that game. Okay. All right. I've yeah, been to the swamp. I want to I want to go there, and I figured Auburn Florida's got to be one of the best games in the SEC this year. I oh, think. absolutely. And they're wearing the throwback uniforms and everything. So um, yeah, because yeah, I was so worried about that. You know, and, and I get what you're saying about this week and, you know, trying to build momentum and, and everything else. But I, I think when you have Tennessee Martin and then, you know, Kentucky, then Tennessee, then Towson, you know, you, you have an opportunity to ramp up, work out some kinks and then, you know, really try to get everything going. Because I don't see Kentucky beating Florida this year. I think that Florida is going to go into that game with a ton of energy to try to uh, to get back from that loss last year. And then, you know, Florida just seems to have Tennessee's number beating them, what, 13 out of the last 14 years. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it, it's that it's that stretch. Like I said, going back to that Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, Georgia thing. It's those four games to me. That's your that's your top twenty five to top ten right there. I, I don't see it falling lower than than out of the top top twenty five. Eight and four to me should be the floor on this thing. Um, and you know the, those four games really should dictate everything. Obviously, there could be an upset in there somewhere in between that we don't expect. But those are really, really tough to call when they have such a good coaching staff and so much more talent than pretty much everybody else that they're playing outside of those four teams. And so, Dave, what, talk to us a little bit about what you do for schools and uh, kind of what your job is. Uh, well, for athletic directors, it's, you know, it's constantly working on what's happening with your coach, what's happening with your coordinators, what's happening uh, with other teams, uh, you know, in in your league also we work with scheduling trying to maximize scheduling to give yourself the best opportunity to playoffs not scheduling too hard not scheduling too soft trying to find quality wins so you know we're working with them all the time we have a beta program we're working uh with athletic directors uh in their physical therapy in terms of recovery and how quick are they recovering compared to other schools uh it's a pretty big undertaking there and on the coaching side uh work with head coaches on identifying uh offensive and defensive coordinator replacements tracking their current offensive and defensive coordinators uh, and uh, on recruiting as well. I'll give you an example. Let's say Florida gives me a call. Dan Mullins like, hey, Dave, we got three guys, cornerbacks, and 
we only got one spot. Well, I can go in the database and I can look up at all of their cornerbacks they've ever had. I can look at their demographics. I can look at the county they came from. I can look at their grades. I can look at um, their test scores. I can look at their height. I can look at their weight. I can look at their speed and I can compare them to every Gator that has been a cornerback over the last 20 years and put in order the most likely and least likely to exceed so you can target those one guys to maximize your opportunity. The goal is creating maximum depth one through 85. Interesting. And so how do, how do your rankings compare to those that a lot of fans that listen to this program are, are familiar with, with rivals or scout or, you oh, know, I use, e- I use their stuff. I, okay. Yeah, I, I use their stuff. I never use ESP because it's trash. I don't sure. use Scout anymore because 247 bought them and sure, CBS sure. bought 247, so it's all the same thing. So really it comes down to rivals and 247 right now. Then you got to factor in your attrition. Who's leaving? Who's staying? Um, you, get, you put in a player development um, number to that as well on the coaching side, and you try to tell a story of what a program's doing under a coach. So, yeah, I, I rely on that recruiting stuff a lot because it tells a big part of the story i love it well dave we appreciate you coming on to at the stadium again and hanging out with us we uh, we hope to have you on in the future and uh and thanks for your time this evening and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon oh well let everybody been, know where they can find you and, and read your stuff and and all that well stuff. For, first of all it's been my pleasure go gators That's all right go gators, uh, uh go gator uh number two um i uh, obviously i do a lot of free stuff on itunes i do a lot of free stuff just talking to people on Twitter, you can find me at CFB Matrix. Uh, and if you want some extra stuff, if you want spreadsheets, if you want more insight, uh, more podcasts on on how I think and how I view th- things, uh, I have a Patreon account, patreon.com backslash CFB Matrix, all sorts of different donor levels. Uh, and that allows me, it allows my wife to tell me I can keep doing the public thing since basically the <laughs> private thing is paying for everything. Hey, I get it. I get it. You have one of those lives too, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Well, Dave, we really if appreciate she actually, Yeah, seriously, if she actually knew how much time I've put into college football and the return on it, she would kill me. Would kill me. I get it, man. We're in the same boat, man. Well, I appreciate your uh, your time this evening. Thank you so much. We'll get you on uh, in the future. So, uh, so thanks so much, Dave, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, bros. Thank you. Bye. All right, fellas, let's get our guest of the week on, which is brought to you by Brown Insurance and Financial Services. Uh, holla at Greg. Uh, Greg worked with us over at Big Three Roll Up, and now he's over here uh, doing some sponsoring and doing some advertising with us over here. But shout out to my man Greg. Anything you need insured from the panel to the keys, whether it's automobile, uh, home, anything that moves, Greg can take care of you. The number is 954-589-2204. Again, it's 954-589-2204. And this segment is the Gator Goat of the Week, and we got my man Brandon Silo on. Cam, let's ride. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. First time on the show, we got a Gator Goat, 2006 national champ and captain on the team. Brandon Siler, what's going on, Siler? What's happening, baby? We hanging out, man. Well, what the business is that y'all love too? A whole lot of Gator talk, man. Um, we been, we get a goat on every week, and you're a linebacker goat. How did you end up? You're from Orlando. How did you end up a Florida Gator? Did you grow up a Gator? 
Nah, I ain't grew up with Gator. And I have to say this shit. In front of everybody. Can I cut <laughs> on You can cut yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, I hate to say this shit in front of people, but I didn't grow up with Gator. I grew up with Kane. Actually, uh-huh. Yeah, Woo! I did. I grew up I grew up with Kane when I was a kid. And, uh, and actually, my mom had just had my baby sister. And and I wanted to stay in town. I, I was committed to go, actually, because, you know, I felt like, you know, we grew up a little rough. I wanted to go all the way as far as I can from that. So I wanted to travel as far as I could. So I was committed to USC, Ooh. you know, <laughs> University yeah. of Southern California, you know. And uh, my mama was having my baby sister, and, and I feared that she would not uh, take me in. I knew that I knew that uh, when I visited Florida, when I visited Florida, though, I knew that this was the place for me because <clears throat> I had a bunch of guys that was family oriented. I had a campus that got behind their players and understood, you know, what it was to be kind of like a, a, a big family outside of just being and going to the school. So that's that's kind of the, the, the network that I wanted to build myself around. And now in business, it's, it's, it's done nothing but been great to me. So uh, you, you got to play with uh, Channing Crowley. Yeah. Have you, have you played, were you in the locker room with anybody crazy than uh, Channing on your playing days? Well, you know, there's a lot of different misconceptions about Channing. Shannon was one of the uh, – Shannon hosted me on my um, recruiting visit along with Brian Crump, and they was crazy as fuck like me. So I love that shit. <laughs> All three of the same people, bro. That shit crazy, bro. We, 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 we was some crazy motherfuckers. I love that. But the thing about it was, you know, what people really don't know is that Shannon was intelligent, super intelligent. You know, I – was fucking super. I, I graduated high school with a 4.2 GPA. You know, even though I was crazy as fuck, I used to whoop motherfuckers' ass and all that shit. I still was smart. And I knew Channing was smart. I was spending a lot of time with him. I knew Crumb was smart. And when you get a bunch of athletic motherfuckers around each other that got a brain and can understand concepts and know what defenses and offenses and all of that. And you, you can do something special, and that's what I knew I had with the crew that I had around me. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, hey, so talk about the transition from going from Coach Zook to Urban. I love Zook. I'm gonna tell you, I fucking love Zook. Zook, actually, when he recruited me, he came to my house and he told me that I was gonna win a national championship in my third year. He said, if I could help him, you know, out with, you know, making sure that the guys that are supposed to come and a few other guys, we'll win the championship in the third year. And that's what we did. He just worked that for us. <laughs> you feel me? I love Zook. And I feel like Zook got a raw deal from the beginning. You know, he got he got on campus and they wasn't really, you know, I felt like Zook wasn't really there to stay for a long time. He was just there in between time. 
and I love Zook. I supported Zook. Zook recruited me. And um, when he got fired, I was very, very upset. You know, I did it. I, did, I, I, verbal, I verbalized that I was upset in the newspapers and anybody that put a camera in my face and all that shit. I was upset about that. But we couldn't have gotten anybody better. You know, um, right. when I first took a glance at the urban and what he was doing, you know, I basically said, you know, shit, who is this dude? You know, he he coaching Utah. We don't understand Florida. What we what we doing here? Right, right. You know, and Urban, you know, when he came in, he set a different president. You know, he came in and he said, you know, look, guys, this is this this is one of the best things. This is one of the first things he told us, and this is kind of what struck um, something in me. He said, look. I'm not going to treat all you motherfuckers the same. Told us just raw like that. He said, I'm going to treat my superstars like superstars. And I'm going to treat my trash like trash. He said, and if you don't like that, and you don't like how I'm treating you, then find a way to turn yourself from trash into a superstar. <laughs> right. And, and that builds championships. Uh, because right. every motherfucker around you is doing everything that they can do to be the best them that they can be. And that's the only way that you're going to win everything unless you're just more talented than everybody else. You got a lot of motherfuckers on the team. No. You know, when we won our championship, we, were in that, we won that shit with grit. We won our shit because we were tougher than everybody else and we trusted each other and we was a family. You know what I'm saying? So... That was important when he came in. So I loved both coaches that I experienced in college, and, and uh, I loved Zook. I love mine. I still, I still have the same amount of love for both of them. What did, What did Urban say, or, or how was he able to kind of t- turn that locker room and around from a, a team that went what nine and three or nine and four to a team that then won the national championship? Was it Was it coaching? Was it the strength and conditioning? Was it the growth of you guys as players? What was it that ultimately it helped him, you know, get over that uh, that mountain? Psychologically, I think Urban, um, I tell people like this, psychologically, Urban uh, created a will to win, right? Um, one, of the, one of the biggest analogies that I could use is, look, you got to make sure that Every person around you is on board. And if one person around you is not on board and anybody has doubt about them, you either eliminate them or you bring them up to the staff. That's where you can trust them. And it was this philosophy. Like, if you have a wall, okay, let's say you have a fucking wall. And if every single one of us ran at that wall at 100%, that wall would break down and we would run through that fucking wall. But if you had one motherfucker with you that didn't run at 100%, all of us would run into that wall and break our neck. So, how much do you trust that motherfucker next to you? And that that right there, right, 
do you trust him enough to run at that wall at 100% knowing that if there's one of these guys in your crew that didn't go at 100%, you will break your neck. That's the kind of shit right there, that psychological shit right there that, that makes you great. Because you ain't going to run into that wall until you believe that every single person with you is going to run into that bitch at 100%. And that was one of the concepts of Herb. That was how he went about his business. And and I bought into that. I bought into that. I loved that. As a matter of fact, the chain that I wore, you know, you got UM that we playing this week. I did I did the mm-hmm. uh, stuff in the, I did all of the photos and shit in the in the, in the stadium for UF. And I did all of the uh, the videos and whatnot for UF uh, for this UM Miami game. And um, back in the day, you know, I was the motherfucker that first created the fucking chain. I wore that chain around my neck. You damn sure did. Every link around that chain had every person that bought in on that link. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know that everybody was not on that link until the national championship. SEC championship, I think, was the first game, and then the national championship. Everybody wasn't even on that link because I had to be able to trust because that goes back to the old philosophy of you only as strong as your weakest link. And you see them links were strong as a motherfucker carrying around a 50-pound chain twisted around in my hand, over my head, because everybody on that chain believed in what I believed in. And everybody wasn't going to uh, lose or or not give everything they had because we only as strong as our weak link. That's just what we did. We saw, talk about your favorite game as a game. Like, what, what team did you like to play the most? You know, it's so crazy um, being a Gator because you got so much shit. You got Tennessee. You got Georgia, you know, you got um, you got all of this 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 big competition within the conference. My game that I love to play the most had to be Florida State, right? Because you got a lot of guys that's from Florida, a lot of guys that you knew, a lot of guys you grew up with, and that shit. So. Um, you you had a lot of people and a lot of bragging rights within your community once you played Florida State. So my biggest game every year was Florida State. I loved that year. I loved going to see and to play against the motherfuckers that I knew and that I had bragging rights with when I went back home with the cookout and all that shit. And I still got the same bragging rights because I ain't never fucking lost to no motherfucker except And I ain't never speak, going to Speak for yourself. I lost one time. I'm just saying. Mm. I'm just saying what it is. <laughs> you know, what I'm hey about? Brandon. At, hey Brandon. At what at, at what point, or do you remember a point in that season, the national championship season, that you guys kind of knew you guys had a shot at winning winning it all? Well, if you you can remember from our season, we needed UCLA to be LSU while we were playing the SEC. 
And when we went in at halftime, we was beating the fuck out of Arkansas. Arkansas had Darren McFadden, Fadden, Felix Jones, and um, and uh, Peyton Hillis in the Peyton same backfield. Yep. I think the motherfuckers had 46 yards against us. Rushing. And we bust their ass. But when we got in at halftime, uh, and Darren McFadden was you know that was the you know I I, I love him fat. I mean I, I went in, I actually picked him up a couple months later at the award ceremony here in Orlando. So, took him out to the club with me. And we hung out. But you know um, I feel like at that moment at the championship, you know we knew that we was destined to do something great. You know, and we knew that this wasn't the end of everything. And we went in at halftime and basically, you know, UCLA, who shouldn't have beat USC. USC, he was the almighty great, right? On top of being uh, right after Ohio State was the almighty great. That could never have been touched. You know, we knew you know, going halfway through that game that we was destined to do something great. We knew we knew shit was gonna fall our way right in the middle of that game. And after after the um in the national championship game, after the tag game ran that back, what was the mood on the sideline? You guys shook a little bit, you guys turned up. What was what was the mood like? This is actually uh a funny story that I tell all the time. And you know how you get stories mixed up in your head and maybe you don't say it the right way or somebody feels that it's a little bit different. I actually met up with Urban um, after I retired from the NFL at the coaches clinic in Indianapolis and he met with a group of coaches and he told his story exactly like I'm about to tell it to you. So me and Urban Irvin, we used to meet at the 50 or wherever we met. It was right before the kickoff. And and he would ask me, you know, how you feel about the day? You know, how we prepared every time? How you feeling? I said, well, you know, I was giving my truth. You know, you know, whatever it was. Well, that day I said, look, man, we ready. You know, there's no way that these motherfuckers even gonna score us. You know what I'm saying? And then when Teddy again, like as I finished my sentence, Teddy again caught that ball and ran it back. And Urban was ecstatic because they they, they held Reggie Nelson um, um on that kickoff. Definitely. And and uh and and, and Urban was was fucking going crazy. Right. Right. And Irvin had his headset on and he threw it down on the ground as that shit happened. And I grabbed him. And, and me and Irvin had a very, very uh, different relationship. You know, he respected that, you know, I was a smart guy, great guy in the community, but also uh, one of the hardest motherfuckers fucking workers and hardest, you know, motherfuckers, period, because that was my upbringing, you know. So he knew also that my parents was not cookie cut, 
you know, it wasn't cookie cutter. You know, I had, I was raised by, by two thugs. I was raped. I was raised by two thugs. Oh, we lost him? Oh, get him back on. It was getting good. I like yeah. Keep all this too, but yeah, get him back on, bro. Yeah, yeah. man. He's getting good. He's a deep cat, though. I like I, I fool with uh, Brandon. Style, dog. Bro, just imagine him, Crump, and and uh uh what's called? Everett? Earl Everett? Oh, bro. That's a smart ass. There's a lot of eaters in that goddamn linebacker room back then, bro. Some big motherfuckers, too. <laughs> They're huge. Sorry about that, guys. Had a crack. Yeah, walk up to me and just ask <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I right, get right back into I had it, to man. get rid of that. Goodness gracious. <laughs> What's so the you, name? But, no, Irvin respected me because, you know, my parents, I'll never forget, Irvin came into campus and pictured me as, like, this, you know, great white hope that uh, was peachy clean, you know, 3.8 GPA and you know everybody said good stuff to me you know about me on campus but he didn't quite understand the dynamics of who I really it was until he got there and then when he get when when he really started to look into and figure out who I really was which was I was you know I was wow you know I was crazy as a motherfucker you know um, he uh, he based went deeper into it and he called my parents you know thinking that he was going to get some you know different parents I remember my mama and my stepdaddy my stepdaddy's uh, you know my dad he's always been my dad he, he uh, served six years in prison and he had 13 gold teeth in his mouth at the time I think and my mom had you know either you know, she started out with four goals even in her mouth. They both had over 10 tattoos. You know, she well, he had over 15 tattoos. My mama got tattoos and all that. And, you know, I don't think Urban expected from me being the clean-cut, you know, kind of guy that that would show up as my parents, right? Gotcha. And uh, both of my parents, showed up like it was a day off so they started drinking and came on up to Florida and you know, <laughs> I, I remember when my mama walked through the door she said um Irvin listen now this ain't Utah my dad <laughs> came here to win a national championship and go to the pros <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that damn Irvin I Big as I all I dove, and uh, they sat there and they talked. And, and, and Urban initial reasoning for bringing them to campus was that I was, you know, I was a little wild. I was out late and drinking and all that shit. And you know, you want to talk about talk to my parents about me drinking? And both of them show up big little uh, <laughs> red cups. You oh know, man! Probably not the best subject to bring up. And then. Uh, they, they, you know, Irvin never brought that up to them, you know. And then on the way out, uh, he let my mom, my stepdad, my dad, 
walk out, and uh, he said, hold on one, one second. And he hugged me and he said, you know what? You just continue to keep doing the best that you can do. He said, that's the craziest fucking set of parents I've ever seen in my life. And he consistently, <laughs> he consistently said that to, to my mama today. You know, if, if, if he would see my mom, he'd say, oh, my God, you're so crazy. So my mom has settled down a lot since. But back in the day, they was young, they was wild, I was young, I was wild, and, you know, we learned a lot of things from her, and uh, we learned a lot of things from being in Florida, man, and, and that, that, that has shaped me into what I'm doing now, you know, I, I represent 1,500 players, you know, um, Legacy Pro Sports is my company, I represent 1,500 players, I work with all the like names of everybody, you know, and uh, uh, I get them disabilities when they're done playing in the NFL. And I think if I wasn't a Gator, if I wasn't in the community, if I wasn't a part of the family of the Gators, then that that wouldn't ever happen. You know. Hey, hey Brandon, what are, what's what are former players' thoughts on on Urban Meyer? Obviously, you played for him, and you know, I know a lot of the fan base thinks that. They kind of he kind of left him high and dry. What, I mean, you obviously played for him. You have a obviously a very deep relationship with him, and and obviously you brought him in with your family. But what are, what are you guys as, as former players, or I guess what do you think of him um, having left Florida? Well, <laughs> kind of mixed emotions about that. I understand. I understand only only for the players that he left. The fans, the family, all of that shit, I did not understand mm-hmm. the animosity towards Urban Meyer. He, whatever he was going through, he was going through family, uh, health issues, whatever it might be, you know, I understand that for Urban. You know, and there's no, no other reason that any fan or anybody that I feel should be upset with him about that. I don't. Mm. Because Urban Meyer brought us two national championships. We Uh, have three history of the school. mm -hmm. And the history of the school. So what else do we owe us? So what else do we owe us? What what do you need him to do? Right. What do you need him to do? You praise, and, 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 and I have all the utmost respect have all the utmost respect for the good old ball coach. Right? Never played for him. We've only had very, very limited conversations. But he got us one championship. And Urban Meyer got us two. Two national championships. In a very short time. A very short time. What else do you need from a guy if he has to go handle some personal business or whatever, whatnot, whatever it might be? It doesn't matter what it was. He don't owe us. We should be praised the way that Billy Donovan and the way that the old ball coaches praised around campus. I don't. I I, I kind of have a little disdain about the feeling that, that a lot of people have except those guys that was there to play for him and 
he left. Those guys should have a disdain about Earth. And I totally understand. I mean, just to, just, just, to, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, some people could be upset, uh, upset about the way the program was handled and a lot of the, the scandals and things behind the scenes. There was a lot of a lot of things behind the scenes. I can see why people are upset that way. But as far as winning and the product he put on the field, yeah, of course, there's nothing to complain about that that way. The scandals behind it. <laughs> the scandals behind it. I, was, I'm not, I, I mean, there's stories out there. I mean, there's news and things out there. We all know at this point. There's a lot, a lot of arrests. I can get why some people are mad. You know what I'm saying? I can see both sides of it. But about, like you say, about the scandals behind the university? You talking about players getting in trouble and and and, and him taking up all the way up to uh, all the way up to his biggest scandal. That bothers me a lot, right? It's because he went to bat for a guy that he hired on, a guy that he told that, hey, you come here with me, I'm going to take care of you. And that guy has some personal issues in his family life. And Irvin didn't say nothing to nobody because that's your personal life. And I'm going to just, I'm going to take care of you the most that I can. And if, if, if at the time, you know, he felt like he just wanted to help out, you know, people, that's just like somebody that, that does something in life that, uh, you know, not as good or, or, or disdained about. Should we not? Should somebody that goes to prison, somebody that does something wrong, not have a chance at life or doing something right? Somebody that makes one mistake, does that mean that they're not a good person? Like, come on, man. Like, no, I no, I'm not like, saying that at all. Society I have, I have no. Wrong. I personally have no quarrels with with, with Urban Meyer. Um, I have more beef with the two guys that were hired after Urban Meyer than Urban Meyer. Like you say, he won. I don't have a lot of beef, but. I, I I know the other side what their opinion is. That's all that's my yeah. stance, but I don't have no problem with it. Well see, I have a little bit of I, I my thing is this, look. My thing is this. I have a problem with the way that everybody views certain things. And society nowadays will tell you that uh, you know uh that that you don't supposed to give somebody a second chance or whatnot. I'm not forgiving anything. I don't know the situation of what happened with, you know, any, you know, there's a lot of different situations that happen. I know I, I got in a few situations when I was at Florida, right? You're going to want your coach, the guy that's in your corner, to come to your defense and try to get you Absolutely. and rescue you as much Absolutely. as you can. And if and if and when that guy does that, that is his contribution to you. That's what he's supposed to do for you, and that's why he's been so successful in getting great players and backing them, and, and these same players being great and turning out to be great people in society. You have a few guys that can't get it together, right? And that can't get it together at the end of the day you give a few more chances but 
that's not that, that's not on you. Your responsibility is to give them every chance you can to be successful. You know. And what's your opinion, Dan Mullen, in, in, in the um, start he got before the game up in the 10-win season? Listen here, I've been screaming Mullen for so long, dog. I've been screaming Mullen for so long, and finally, the Gator Nation get a, a blessing to get the opportunity to, to bring him back to this campus. He is a real dude. This is a dude that will that will put on a suit with Jordan's don't give a fuck with nobody thing. Okay. This is a dude that's gonna do it his way no matter what the fuck. And that's the same way that Urban was. Right? You you gotta be unapologetic about how you do things. And that's him. If the shit don't work then sue me. But I did it my way. And that's what Mullen is. And Mullen gonna do it the right way and gonna motivate these kids. And like he say, they hold a gator. He, he, he always talk about his gator standard. That is a gator standard. The gator standard is we're going to fuck shit up and we're going to win games and we're going to be wild and crazy and party and do whatever the fuck we need to do to win these games and we're going to do it our way. And it's unforgiving. And, you know, back in the day, that's what I loved about the U. And that's why I was a UN fan when I grew up. Because they did it on. Apologetic. Well, well, since you well, since we're here, since we're talking about you, give us your prediction on the game. This this, this upcoming Saturday. Yeah, man, fuck them. We're gonna whip that ass. That's what my opinion is. We're gonna go over there, make that ass. We'll come out of here with this good victory. I'll be right on the sideline, swinging my damn towel in the air and all that shit. And we're gonna whip that ass, baby. That's what, what you think this gonna be? 4114. You know, and do their due diligence needs to come to us. Legacy Pro Sports, we have 1,500 players. You can look up uh, Legacy Pro Sports on social media, on Instagram. And uh, Brandon Sala, what's my, I think it's Brandon Sala 40 or something like that. I don't even know what my personal Instagram is, but Legacy Pro Sports, you come find us and get after us, you know, uh, and get your disabilities, man. We we went in about we went in about twenty five disability cases a month, you know. So, you know, if if, if you're a former player, we need to get every, everything that we can get, you know, from, you know, the game that we've provided so much for, you know. So personally my 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 Instagram, Brandon Sala40. Uh, I think it's the same thing on Facebook. And then uh, uh, Instagram, your series of Legacy Pro Sports, man. All right, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming coming on and hanging out with us, man. You put some good content out there. Go Gators. Let's, let's appreciate it, bro.
Let's go whoop their ass. Hey, y'all seen that I did the, uh, the all of the pictures in the, in the uh, what's name? Yeah, yeah, Black told me that was you. Yeah, man, I told yeah, I, I just told. put it out today. You know, they had me silent for a long time. I didn't, I didn't like it, but <laughs> cooperate. But hell yeah, that's me. You see the damn key Kong tattoo. You know, <laughs> represent for. Represent for UF, baby. Represent for the Gators. Let's do it, baby. Let's go win this shit. Already. Already. Hold it down. All right, man. I'll see y'all there. All right. All right. Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what we want to, man. Yeah, 40, bro. He's 41 14 Saints. Towards Florida State, Florida last year. So I like that energy. I'm here for it. Yeah, get South Beach Willie the same score, bro. I'm, I'm with all that shit. Hey, speaking of Gator Ghosts, what if we got a uh, another one on? What if we brought on uh, Chris Doring? Woo! Woo! Flaming. Flaming, flaming. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I got to keep my feet up on this. Let's go. You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. And joining us for the first time on Stadium and Gale is a three-time SEC champion, one-time first-team All-SEC, second-team All-American, wide receiver Chris Doer. And Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to be on with you guys. Uh, congratulations on the podcast. That's man growing, growing in popularity quickly. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. Hang out. Hey, it's only growing because we get people like you on. So, hey, Chris, talk to us about your time in Gainesville. Obviously, you're still super connected, but you walked onto the team. Talk to us a little bit about kind of what that looked like for you. Yeah, I mean, my my life uh, growing up here in Gainesville consisted of uh, being pretty much submerged in all Gator athletics. And uh, my dream from the time I could remember uh, was to play football for the Gators and play in the NFL. And so, you know, I uh, I followed guys like Chris Collinsworth and, and Ricky Natiel and, and uh, so many of those great former Gators that uh, played wide receiver before me. And, uh, you know, I always had it in my head that, you know, it's just going to work out. I went to P.K. Young, which is a developmental research school at the University of Florida and, and uh, you know, set records there at P.K. was, was uh, first-team All-State and uh, football, you know, two years being All-State to uh, my senior year. I tell everybody I had the greatest senior year in the history of senior years. I was, I was All-State in football baseball, basketball. We won the state championship in basketball. I was uh, MVP of the state basketball tournament, and I was uh, the lead in guys and dolls. I was Scott Masterson, so I got a chance man. to do it all in high school. Right. And, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah well-rounded, <laughs> but I, I didn't get that uh, scholarship offer that I wanted from, from uh, the Gators, and so I had to walk on, which uh, I think in the long, long run ended up being the best thing that could have happened for me because it gave me an opportunity to uh, to learn about adversity early. It taught me about perseverance, t- taught me about commitment, and um, all of those things that paid dividends not only in my career at Florida but in the NFL and then in my post-playing days as well. So things uh, always work out the way they're supposed to work out and, and uh, you know, just didn't, didn't seem like it at the time. How are things different as a walk-on player um, compared to being a scholarship player? Because obviously your first year there, you were a redshirt. Are you- you, uh, you were a, a walk-on, and then you went to scholarship. But how were how were the two different? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things for me it was just I always felt like I wasn't as good as 
as everybody else. I, I, I more so I didn't feel like everybody looked at me the same way that they looked at everybody else. I remember, you know, heading into my redshirt sophomore year, the Gainesville Sun was writing about the receiver position and going through and the thing, the way they described me was uh, lanky walk-on. So my, my entire first couple of years at Florida, I thought my, my, my first name was walk-on because everything was walk-on Chris Doring, and I, I just felt like that was a little bit of a derogatory term. So, uh, you know, when I got that scholarship before my sophomore season, it was uh, after our morning two-a-day practice. Coach Breyer called us all up, and, and, um, and he made the announcement that he was putting me on scholarship. And I, I tell everybody I ran up to the office as quick as I could, signed the scholarship before they could change their mind. And really the, <laughs> the best thing about that for me was just the way that my teammates celebrated, and, and they had seen the work. They had seen, you know, that I had earned it. And, so I was, and Ahmad, you can speak to this. I mean, how many times do we see guys get scholarships based upon what they did at the high school level, uh, yeah. and then they get to college, and, and then they never amount to anything. And I think for me, you know, what I would – was most uh, most happy about was that I got a chance to earn that scholarship based upon what I did in my first two years at Florida as a college football player. So it, uh, it gave me some legitimacy. Unfortunately, after I got the scholarship, it went from walk-on Chris Doring to former walk-on Chris Doring. But uh, <laughs> I look at that as a, a badge of honor, I think, you know. Did you did you always think that there was a chance that you'd make the NFL and, and have a pretty long, uh, illustrious NFL career? You know what? I, I I don't know how illustrious it was. It was definitely long. I mean, I got a chance for ten years to play uh, all over the NFL. Got cut ten different times, but kept making teams somehow or another. And it was the same story. You know, it was uh, just like coming out of high school again, where I had to constantly prove people wrong. Um, so I, I am thankful for the path that that uh, I was forced to take uh, coming to, to Florida and walking on. But. You know, I think in my mind, I, for whatever reason, I always felt like it was going to work out at Florida. Um, you know, I, I knew. Even even though it was probably long odds for most walk-ons that I was going to get a chance. And fortunately, I played for a guy, Steve Spurrier, that really didn't care if you were a scholarship guy or if you were a walk-on. He wanted guys that, that, that played the way they coached and uh, played the way they were coached, which John Wooden, he was big on John Woodenisms. He talked about that and talked about, you know, coaches love guys that are in great shape. And I think I kind of set the tone when I came there as a freshman and won the conditioning uh, test and uh, kind of gained some respect from him in that, in that, in that dynamic. So it was uh, something that, that I always kind of felt was going to happen. And the NFL was, was something that I was passionate about, but not like playing at Florida. You know, all the games I went to as a kid and how much it meant to me cool. to run out of that tunnel, um, I always felt like that was kind of a secondary thing. But, um, you know, obviously getting a chance to, to earn a living playing a sport you love with, with guys that are, um, you know, it's a, it's a tighter bond than it is anywhere else. And that's the hardest part about not playing football anymore is that you don't have the ability to make those same relationships that you do in the locker room and and uh and prepare together the way we do in the off season and during the week leading up to a game and so uh it's uh, it's tough to try to duplicate but i'll tell you that the tv stuff is kind of the next best thing for me because of the way that we all kind of prepare in the week leading up to friday and saturday hey, we do our live show you get that adrenaline rush and then when it's all over, we, we go uh, kind of celebrate together. So it's uh, it's not quite playing, but it's uh, it's the next best thing in my book. So I want to ask you, uh, just because you obviously played for Spurrier at Florida, and then you were one of the uh, the guys that got picked up when he went up to uh, to Washington. What was it like to play with him in the NFL, and then reunite with a lot of former Gators? Because it seemed like every week during that uh, 2001 2002 uh, off season, he was picking up a new Gator to play on that team. There's probably seven, eight of you guys 
uh, on that team that were former Gators. What was that like to kind of be reunited? And then yeah. what was it like to play with him in the NFL compared to college? And then ultimately, why do you think it, it didn't work out for him? Well, first of all, you know, I, I owe so much to Coach Burger. Outside of my parents, he's probably the most important uh, adult in my life and the guy that made a difference in, in terms of um, the person I am today, giving me the opportunity to play at Florida and then re- rejuvenate my career in the NFL because I had torn my Achilles in the 2000 season playing with the Denver Broncos. And, uh, you know, I was all all but done in 2001, so much to the, the point where I actually had to sign a, an arena contract, which I was dreading having to do and for. Fortunately, uh, Coach Burger made the announcement that he was leaving to go to the NFL. Uh, most of the Gator Nation was disappointed. I was happy because I knew he'd take me with him. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be, I think, the first of the Gators to uh, yeah. to sign up there. Uh, I remember the, the story when he called me about signing me was uh, was going on and on about uh, how how uh, you know much fun we were going to have. And, and he told me, yeah, we're going to sign you to a minimal contract. A lot of incentives, though. And uh, when I got my contract, <laughs> it had no, no incentives in it. <laughs> but that, that's all right. I was, I was happy to uh, to be on the, the squad and have another opportunity to play. So it, it was interesting. I knew Coach very well. I knew his style. Um, a lot of guys, that, that can work when you're 18 to 22 years old in college. Um, the sarcasm doesn't necessarily work as well with guys that are making equal to or more than you are as a uh, as a coach. And so I would have many a time where guys would come up to me and be like, hey, Chris, what's wrong with your, what's wrong with your coach, man? And I uh, just had to kind of explain to him how he how he operated, and uh, it was it was a little bit different, but it was uh, something that I think with time could have been successful. That first year, we went seven and nine and uh, missed the playoffs. I think uh, the ownership and the general managers there they they kind of blamed us Gators for for uh, you know coach for signing too many Gators. The next year, he didn't sign any of us back. I don't think maybe with the exception of Danny. And uh, I was happy that they went six and ten. So they got worse when they got rid of the Gators. And uh, I think at the end of the day, Coach just got tired of having to listen to other people tell him about what he was going to do with personnel moves and the guys he was going to sign. So um, it was a good. I think it was a good experience for him. He tested his his wares at that level, and then at the end of the day, I think he realized that he was probably better suited to uh, to be a college ball coach. I got. You. And then I got one final question. Are these guys are chomping at the. Uh, you know, obviously the play that you're probably most favorite or uh, most famous for during your time at Florida was the, uh, the game against Kentucky and, and Mick Hubert's call. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? Or um, No, no, yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible to get tired of hearing that. I mean, that, that still gives me chills to hear it. Um, kind of interestingly enough, that was kind of the coming out party for both me and for Mick because Mick was uh, taken over, I believe, for David Steele uh, and before that Otis Boggs. So there was a, a long line of guys that were uh, great play-by-play guys for Florida and and not a lot of people really knew about uh, McHuber a ton, and, and certainly very few people knew about me. That was my sophomore year. In fact, I had just been given a scholarship just a couple weeks earlier, as I mentioned earlier, and um, you know, I, I caught a couple passes in the first game of the season in the Swamp, so felt good about that. We go to Lexington, and Coach Spurrier tells me before the game I'm going to start, and so all of a sudden I'm getting a, 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 I was a walk-on a few weeks earlier, and now I'm starting in the SEC. I catch my first career touchdown in the fourth quarter and i'm thinking in my head man this is the pinnacle of everything i've ever dreamt about uh, you know this is this is what uh, what it's all about and little did i know i'd, I'd have a chance to catch uh, the game winner with three seconds left that, that kind of changed my fortunes um and that was only the second of, of 31 touchdowns i caught but uh, i think people obviously remember that as, as the game that uh, they most recognize my name and, and going to class on Monday it was a, it was a lot different than what it was before I remember I had a class 
Uh, and on that Monday, our coach, uh, the the, uh, the teacher in the class, was talking about this great story about the walk-on Chris Doring and catching the touchdown against Kentucky, and he had no idea that I was sitting in his class. So it was uh, really the complete uh, going from anonymity to having a lot of people uh, recognize who you were and and, and want to want to talk to you a lot more than maybe they did before. That's probably because your name on his roster wasn't former walk-on, you know? Yeah. I didn't know who you were. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Hey, Chris, we had Rita Anthony on the show. He's a big personality and a, and a big trash talker. What was the dynamic of that wide receiver room? Man, we had, I, I say all the time, Amanda, that we, our receiving core in Florida was better than what it was on, on most NFL teams I was on. You know, I mean, when you get to the NFL, there's five guys on the, on the receiving core and you know usually four and five are guys that are special teams guys maybe they don't play as much on offense but I mean from the time I got there you know, Alonzo Sullivan and Trey Everett those are some of the guys that that, that helped you know take me under their wing and, and teach me the ropes uh, Willie Jackson who was a guy I played with at Florida Aubrey Hill Jack Jackson and you know came Rudell Anthony and Ike Hillier Jacquez Green and, and Travis McGriff it was uh it was really a competitive situation every day in practice where we were always trying to to make each other better. In fact, you should sometimes we go one on ones against ourselves, and uh, you know the, the competition there and those one on ones was was better than it was sometimes going against the corners. So we we enjoyed one another. It was a really tight knit group, but um, you know the the personalities were large as well. I mean, you talked about Redell and and uh, maybe one of the more entertaining guys that have ever been around off the field. Uh, Ike Hilliard, who uh, you know came in as a freshman and just completely lit it up. Um, but so many different guys that uh, had different skill sets. That Coach Spurrier did a great job of putting in position to maximize, you know, the skills that they had. So it was uh, it was really a pleasure getting a chance to not only play in that offense, but to play with that group of receivers that I did from from '91 to '95. Hey, Dory, that that was that was silk, by the way. This is a <laughs> Oh my bad, my bad, bro. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so so um, I'm sorry, silk. Uh, I just got one. Um, who was the best corner you faced uh, at practice, and who was the best corner you faced um, in the game? Um, yeah, I can tell you, first off, you know, when you're a freshman going against seniors, it is not, uh, it's not pretty, man. So I remember some of those, those days of having to go up uh, against um, some of the, the, uh, the seniors that, that just completely, you know, smashed us and having to go on, on uh, scout team stuff and all. So it was uh, – it was a little humbling, but those are the things. I mean, Will White was a guy that was a safety on that team that was uh, uh, really good, and uh, Del Spear was one that that, that liked to talk a lot of trash. It was very physical. But as we got got a little older, you know, things evened out a little bit. Uh, but I think maybe one of the most difficult in my career that was always a, a challenge was Anthony Lott. You know, another guy that that loved it. It was very physical, mm-hmm. um, and then in, and when we got into to the games, I mean, it was uh, probably the most challenging in a game that I played against in college was uh, Torrey James, the great uh, corner from LSU that played for the Denver Broncos for a long time. Um, and then in the NFL, man, I, I had a chance with the Redskins to play maybe against the best trio of corners I'd ever been around. Daryl Green was at the end of his career. Fred Smoot, the former Mississippi State uh, corner, and then obviously Champ Bailey, who just went into the Hall of Fame. You talk about making Sundays easy, man. You go against those guys every day during practice. It, uh, it's a walk in the park on Sunday. Chris, what are you, what are you most uh, proud of? You, you've accomplished a lot, national champion, played in the NFL 10 years. What are you most proud of? You know, I think for me, the, uh, the thing that I'm most proud of 
when it comes to my football careers is the fact that um, you know I never gave up, and despite uh, many many instances where I probably should have given up, I, I didn't, and um, yeah, that perseverance is something that served me really well, as I mentioned, both in my playing days and my post playing days, and I think the thing that I I um, I always wanted to do was to to, to prove people wrong and uh, to not let other people define who I was and what I was capable of doing. And so you know, I look at my, my football career um, as, as doing just that. And uh, even though it wasn't the, the most direct path, it wasn't the smoothest, uh, but it was, it was one that I'm really proud of. And, you know, to, uh, I kind of, my kids don't want to hear it. And uh, you, you guys know that have kids. I mean, it's, it's uh, interesting, the stuff that they'll listen to from other people, but won't listen to from their father. In fact, my son's a sophomore playing receiver at PK Young and, and wants no part of having any sort of advice from, from the old, old man. So, I think more than anything, I just want them to, to understand that they can accomplish anything that they set their minds to and, and that uh, people are always going to try to tell you you can't do something. But if you believe in yourself and work hard and don't give up, you can you can achieve any goal you want. Hey, Chris. Yep. This, this, this is what everybody want to know. 08 versus, 08 versus 96. <laughs> all right, let, let me get this straight for you boys, all right? First of all. 08 versus 96. <laughs> Now, well, here's the thing. I wasn't even on that 96 team. So I was on the yeah, 95 know, team that got beat by that, floor, that that Nebraska team in the national championship. Mm-hmm. And I contend that the 95 team was better than the 96 team, the 06 team, and the 08 team. Oh, we're, okay. the only, we're the only team that's gone undefeated in the regular season and won the SEC championship game in the history of Florida football. Unfortunately, we ran up against the greatest team in the history of college football in Nebraska. But, uh, yeah, you, you go back and look at the record books. Nobody's ever done that at Florida. Oh, so 90, 90, 95, so we got those 95. 95 in the, in the, we got them in the loop now. Yeah, we, we get forgotten about it. And I do think that was uh, a learning uh, a learning situation for both Coach Berger and, and for the guys that came back for that 96 team. And I'll, I'll be honest with you again, it, that was one of the harder things I've ever watched. Obviously, I was very happy for, for the Gators and very happy for my teammates that were still there. But watching them kind of hoist that trophy and, and not being a part of it as a player on the field – was uh, was really difficult, especially how how my career ended in that uh, disappointing Fiesta Bowl game. Hey Chris, you're obviously really tied in uh, with uh, with the program now. What are your thoughts on uh, on this season, and particularly the Miami game, considering that's in in five days? Uh, but what are your thoughts on this year's team, and how do you think they're going to do? Yeah, I mean, first way that, that Coach Mullen came in and and really uh, embraced the culture here. Obviously, he was a part of of setting the, the standard back in 06 and 08. But, you know, from the moment he stepped off the plane and started gator chomping in that introductory press conference where he, he tipped the cap to Coach Spurrier and, and those teams of, of Coach Myers there in the 2000s and, and uh, didn't, didn't try to shy away from what the expectation level is. In fact, embraced the challenge. And uh, changing that culture, you could see it kind of uh, permeate throughout the locker room as the, as the season wore on last year. You saw them start to believe a little bit more. And I, I think this was a team that, that clearly had some talent on it, but needed to, to learn how to win. And to go from four wins to ten wins is, is pretty uh, remarkable. Um, but to see the deficiencies, I, I was at preseason uh, scrimmages last year, and to watch that offensive line as bad as they were early in the season to, to get better and better for the, for the scheming and the play calling – to help overcome some of the deficiencies they had on offense uh, was really impressive. And I think it's got everybody excited about the, uh, the program, the, the trajectory of, of where this uh, program's headed. 
And uh, I'm, I'm just excited about, you know, getting a chance to play Miami again. That was one of my big regrets during my time in Florida. I never got a chance to play against the Hurricanes. My, uh, my family is all from South Florida. My parents both from Miami, both Florida grads. And uh, we grew up going down to the Orange Bowl to watch the Gators in Miami play down there. So it was something that I, I was kind of born and bred into me, that, that dislike and, and uh, hatred for, for Miami. So to finally get that, that series going again here this year and then 24-25, it's going to be exciting. But I, I think it all starts with setting the tone in, in week one and, and uh, it's going to be a unique season, man. Three, three bye weeks, a season that if you go to the national championship game will be longer than any season in the history of college football. So uh, it's, a, it's a long path, but it starts on Saturday. So speaking of Saturday, do you have a score prediction? You know what, man? I haven't issued my official score prediction uh, in, in let me tell you this: it's not a uh, it's not a matter of who's going to win. It's it's how badly we're going to oh, win. Oh, we know I, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I could say even I could their say podcasts we. are okay. saying okay. 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 I'll okay. say we here. You know, I, I can't say we necessarily on the uh, SEC network, but uh, I can say here we with you guys. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's one that um, you look at the, the talent on this team. I, I don't know that there's been as much talent on the offensive side of the ball since um, some of those teams that Ahmad was on back in the late 2000s. Um, key room. Is, is an offensive line, and that's where the strength of uh, Miami's team is, obviously, in the front seven, and, and so it's going to be a test early, but I have faith in the coaching staff, and I think there's some really good young talent on that offensive line that just hadn't had a chance to play. Brett Heggie um, needs to stay healthy. I think he's got a chance to be an all-SEC uh, selection at the end of the year, and, and uh, you're going to see you're going to see some young guys get a chance to play, man. Five true freshmen on that offensive line. Uh, at least two or three of them are probably going to be counted on for some, some depth. So uh, I'm just anxious to see who it is that steps up and how quickly that, that group can kind of create some continuity and chemistry. I love it. Well, Chris, tell everybody where they can find you and listen to you. And um, we'll go sure. probably, uh, probably get sick of listening to me. I, I do uh, radio every morning <laughs> on the uh, SEC channel on Sirius XM, channel 374. Me and Peter Burns are on from 7 to 10 a.m. And then on the weekends, I am on the SEC Network with our Friday night preview show and our uh, Saturday coverage, triple header on the SEC Network every Saturday. So it's a long day for me and Darian Chiz. Get in there about noon and end up about 1 in the morning, but uh, couldn't ask for a better job and, and better friends to kind of hang out with and watch games all day. I love it. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. We'll hopefully have you on in the future. You did a great job, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'd love to be on with you guys again. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, thanks. A lot. Go Gators. Hi. Go Gators. See you guys. I grew up watching Chris. Chris was uh, some of my, my earliest memories uh, when I was when I was young, and I just started to, to watch you know the Gators when I so I was born in '88. So when I was four or five years old, Doreen was was Doreen got there. buckets, bro. Yeah, he was there. He was one of their top receivers, and then watching uh, watching him, you know, go through his NFL career, and then you know when they all circled back up with uh, with Steve Spur when they were at the Redskins. That's what I used to do back when I had Madden is I would, you know, take over a team and then I would trade for all the former Gators. Uh, for the team to sort of see uh, Steve Spur do that in real life was a uh, was a Madden dream come true for me. You, you, do you see that commonly with coaches, though, that, that come from colleges that go, go to pro teams? No, I don't think so. I think it, it was just the way that Spurrier was. Um, yeah, I, I think that he was a guy that had his system and wanted people that had his system, and yeah. it, it, it didn't work out. I mean, you know, I, I love Danny Werfel. He's my, my favorite gator of all time, but he probably was not equipped. He definitely was not equipped 
to to lead an NFL team at the time. You know, Chris Dowering, while great, was also coming you know out of the AFL right then, and you know, obviously, it was a was coming off his Achilles, and you know, did, did okay, but you know, they they had a roster that was was chock full of Gators that were you know towards the uh, towards the end of their career, and I wish it could have worked out with uh, with all of them in their prime. Might have been a little bit different, but you know, I think it was tough to kind of piece together uh, towards the end there. Yeah, sure. You know, because even Quez played on that team, and yeah. uh, Shane Matthews played on that team, and they're all towards you know the the latter end of their playing career. And I don't think any of them really played much after that. But uh, but it's cool to see it in real life. And I became a Redskins fan for that couple of years that Spurrier went there, and then uh, once he left, got rid of all my stuff. So, uh, but anyway, <laughs> Doring Doring's great, man. You know, it's it's cool to have. A guy you're watching and, and a legend and in uh, in Gator Nation uh, hop on the show. So, uh, well, moving on, we uh, we have a new segment that we're uh, starting this week. Uh, it's sponsored by Gibson Dive and Detail. I got to know Sean uh, over the past couple weeks, and, and uh, his company, Gibson Dive and Detail, specializes in underwater hull cleaning, uh, servicing, and dive recovery. He's down in the uh, the Tri County area, Broward County, Dade County, and now uh, Palm Beach County. So, if you uh, if you have a boat. Um, if you need a clean, if you need, uh, detailing, if you need dive recovery, you know, maybe you drop some buried treasure, whatever that might be. Uh, give Sean a call. His number is three, five, two, five, four, one, four, one, four, eight, six. Again, three, five, two, five, one, four, one, four, eight, six. Uh, he's a firefighter and a rescue diver and he's, uh, he owns and operates that on the side. So if you're in the tri-county area down there, definitely give him a call again, Sean Gibson, three, five, two, five, one, four, one, four. Four eight six. So Ahmad, every week, whenever somebody comes on the show, they want to know something about you and something about your experience. And so this week, uh, and this new segment that we have called Deep Dive with Ahmad, it's question is Ahmad, do you see the Miami game becoming something similar to the Tennessee game last year where we turn uh, turn them over uh, early and often and it steamrolls the, uh, the game into a blowout? Um, I don't think so. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, it's the first game. Uh, we're going to have kinks in the chain that we got to get out. Um, all teams do. I mean, I don't care how good your offense is and how your defense is. You know, we, sometimes we're going to get the stupid penalties, um, you know, maybe 12 men on the field or, or you know, the stupid holding calls. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. So uh, I don't expect us to steamroll them, um, you know, at first. Um, I, I feel like it's going to be a defensive battle uh, at the beginning, you know, maybe first half. Uh, I think we'll pull away late in the game, but definitely Gators, Gators uh, are coming out victorious. G- you see that more like the FSU game last year? We were up 13-6 at halftime and then blew them out in the second half? Or, or what yeah, do you think? Yeah, so, so, something similar to that. I think we'll wear, wear them down a little bit. Uh, they, they don't have too much experience. And I, and I, and I think um, in a big game like this where uh, it's a rival game, um, you know, I like, like we keep talking about those those uh, freshman tackles. I don't think they're going to be able to hold up off of four quarters. So uh, quarterback can get rattled a little bit. I think they're going to you know, shut it down early because can't throw the ball deep for real so we'll see i i, I, I think we're gonna set them out um in the second half i love it hey so, so ready, to our, ready to our score predictions so so not muted he don't even know it <laughs> he's talking, he's he talking, talking. uh hey Omar, what do you have as the uh, your score prediction that's for this week's my game? bad fellas I, I was talking my ass off again I told you, I told you. All right, so my score prediction. Ah, ready? Drum roll. 
All right. I like that score. I, I'm going big, bro. Uh, I'm going to go... Let's go 44-17. They, they get some garbage time points when we put the, the walk-ons in or something. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going go, uh, to go 38 to, to 10. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that they stand a chance. I think it's a blowout from the beginning to the end. I like that energy. Hey, hey. hey speaking of which. I won't. I, I got a wedding. I've got to go up to New York on Wednesday, so I won't be in Orlando. So, and Ahmad, I know that you guys have a, a bunch of stuff planned for this weekend. So, why don't you go through all that stuff on Friday and Saturday? Well, Friday night we we, we got a, a big three roll up. We're doing a, a get together. Uh, we're taking over Underground Public House, which is downtown Orlando. It's fifteen dollars for the, the cover. You can go on Eventbrite right now and purchase a ticket for fifteen bucks. Uh, that pretty much gets you discounted drinks and pretty much it's an exclusive exclusive party for j- just for us so come hang out man again it's underground public house downtown orlando hey make sure you guys get a thug's passion in my honor i am not drinking a thug's passion i'm not gonna be here on the liquor <laughs> friday night man i'm gonna hang out friday night but i'm not getting soft stuff it's, it's, it's gonna be a long day the next day man i gotta be fresh so i'm gonna hang out but i'm not i'm not getting soft stuff friday and then what about Saturday, there's still tickets open on Saturday. Yeah, we still have some available for the tailgate. So if you guys are still looking to come or or pull up, we'll see, man. We may be sold out, may not. So if you're in the area, just pull up. Well, Click on the event right page as well. We got the address on there. Let's so come hang out. Yeah, come hang out, man. We hanging, we hanging out big. We got a DJ out there. Yeah, absolutely. DJ uh, Shannon Snell's from Sunny's is on the full. Offensive lineman kicking with us here on the show every now and then, so he'll be out there. Amaya's gonna be out there. Uh, Channing Cross will pull up, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time, man. Y'all come out and hang out. Man, I'm jealous. Um, sucks that I'm missing, but you guys are gonna have a good time. And then, you know, finally we are affiliated with the uh, Big Three Roll Up Network. You uh, so you guys did an awesome job this past weekend raising some money for uh, for clothes to kids. Can you tell us a little bit more? And if somebody wants to donate uh, money to that, where they can do that. Absolutely. Uh, if you go to our, our uh, Twitter page, Big Three Roll Up, we have a link there that's, that's for clothes, kids, donations. We have uh, a PayPal, way to pay PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, either, any way you want to donate, you can uh, uh, donate. To, we have links for the different Cash Apps or what have you. Also, you can donate clothes. We're having the clothes drive, so any clothes, shoes, uh, it can be used or new clothes. But underwear you need to be brand new in the package, underwear and whatnot. But any donations are welcome. To, you're welcome to bring them to the tailgate. We'll get it to close with kids. We appreciate it. Right now, we're, we're close to, to four grand. We're trying to get to five thousand, and 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 that's our goal. But if it goes over that, then cool. But we're close to our goal. So if you guys can donate and help out, anything helps for the kids. It don't matter if you have a dollar, five dollars, whatever it helps. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be awesome if a stadium and Gale could help uh, get that over for five thousand dollars. So that's awesome. I think it's going to do it, boys. Yeah, yeah. It's a good man, show. Good. Yeah, real good show. Content filled. Man, we got to get Dan the song, man, before Woo. the big game, bro. You can't. Uh, you Dan. That's a lot of pressure, bro. That's a lot of pressure, Press bro. Some break pipes, too, Dan. Don't be yeah, on some bullshit. Because, look, I, whatever your song is, it's going to dictate the, 
the energy we're gonna bring into the stadium, Dan. So putting up all that shit on. The listeners right now are ready to boo this man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) they are. They are. You know, I did. uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. I actually had a perfect time. Tyler Childers song picked out, and I was gonna pick it. And it's an album that 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 album absolutely slaps. Country Squire, all nine songs are in, and so. I was thinking today when I was driving, I was like, man, I think this is the song that I'm going to pick. And then you just said that. And now that's a lot of pressure on my shoulder. So uh, because of that, I'm going to do a throwback. I'm going to do um, I'm going to do Never Scared by Bone Crusher. All right. I like the energy. That's big energy. I like I like I like all that energy. That's big energy. OK, that's big OK. Energy right there. Yeah. yeah never have. Never have. So i Outside of the club, <laughs> so I go to my. I think people want to hear the actual song, but if you want to, yeah, hear the- yeah, not- <laughs> go ahead, dance with the bars, baby. The no, bars, no, baby. Oh, gee, hey, hold it down. Same corner every week, Stadium Miguel, baby. Ain't nobody getting in the club right now. Ain't nobody getting in the club. Right now.
old man, find you somebody to play with. If you don't like me when you see me, better not say, say, I choke you out like Drake did that. Hey, you better tell these people, they, they with no record. I'm a bank head, I take your cookie. Hey, so don't make it a me or you situation. I have your partner down, I see you this Cause I do this freeze head confessions and never see so I'm outside.